Hello and welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich, where conversation is alive and well. Conversation with creative people who have a lot to say. And I, for one, love talking with actors and comedians. And in the case of today's guest, a guy who combines acting and comedy and a whole lot more. His name is Kevin Flynn. He's got a one-man show touring all over called Fear of Heights. And for those of you catching this podcast in close to real time, he's in the local area where we produce this show. He's going to be in Braintree, Massachusetts at the Curtain Call Theater on Saturday, June 25th at 8 p.m. It's a great show. You want to check it out. His website, KevinFlynnLive.com. So let's welcome a guy who's very funny and very thoughtful. Kevin Flynn is ready to join us on mic. Kevin, as I read your bio, and you're a very funny guy, needless to say, your stand-up is terrific, but I read your bio, and it's like uh, Mr. Adventure, and you're all over the map with all kinds of things. It sounds like you uh, you love life and love to be curious about stuff. Am I right? Yeah, I've had a great run, um, you know, kind of following my passions. Uh, you know, part of what the, the play that I'm doing, Fear of Heights, is, is basically the opportunities that my parents uh, afforded me. Um, you know, the first one in the family to go to college, and I went to the University of Massachusetts on a soccer scholarship and played a couple of years of pro ball after that uh, in the indoor league, uh, then coached at BU, then started uh, in stand-up with the red-hot Boston comedy scene in, mm-hmm. in the mid-'80s, um, which opened so many doors to me to this adventurous life that I've uh, that I've led. Um, after living in Boston for a few years and doing some television, you know, I started hosting television shows, one of which was a show called Go For It on yeah. the Discovery Channel, where they, they sent me all over the world to do <laughs> crazy stuff. Crazy you're, stuff. So. Yeah, you're like Harold Lloyd, if you know who that is, from the old silent days, uh, hanging off of clock towers. But you're doing, you're doing it right. in extreme natural conditions. We'll talk about it in, in a sec here. Where is uh, birthplace, first of all? Let's talk about that. Well, I, I was born and raised in Connecticut. Okay. Um, my, and my parents are from Brooklyn, New York. And the Fear of Heights uh, title is rather apropos for your one-man show. I love this story. Yeah. Well, you know, the Fear of Heights is I had a father and a grandfather who were both uh, high-profile ironworkers in New York City. Uh, In many ways, I was destined to become a third-generation ironworker, which, you know, this ironworking mystique, these men are up there, including my father and grandfather, up on these beams, unafraid of heights. And I was afraid of heights. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I, I never told my father, uh, certainly never told my grandfather, uh, who called me Black Jack because I was the 21st grandchild. Um, oh. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Connecticut away from the city. My parents uh, thought we would have more uh, opportunities and advantages growing up in there. The basic, you know, American dream story. And um, so from there, I uh, I admit to my dad at, at, at a certain point in his life that uh, I am, in fact, afraid of heights. And, you know, he, he wants to know why, you know, if I was afraid of heights, why was I jumping out of airplanes, <laughs> bungee jumping and all that crazy stuff on the show? And I said, well, first of all, they were paying me a lot. There was a camera on me and um, I didn't want to tell anybody <laughs> that I was so afraid of everything there. So, um, you know, my father said to me, uh, one of the lessons he taught me was that uh, fear is what keeps you alive mm. um, up there and in life. But you got to try things. You got to do things. Um, but a good, healthy dose of fear is okay. You know, <laughs> as I talk, I, I have a lot of comedian friends. I, I think the world of stand-up comedy, and I know how stressful it can be to get up there in front of right. a screaming throng of people imbibing, but that's the scariest thing in the world for many performers to do what you do. 
Well, you know, some people have pointed that out, that in a sense, I did work from Heights, which is on the stage in front of, <laughs> you know, hundreds, thousands of people in some cases. Uh, so in a way, I was doing what my father had done. He just did it on a beam and I do it on a stage. But we're yeah. both uh, both doing it from, from Heights. Kevin, uh, you mentioned the Boston comedy scene, and uh, the podcast we're doing is heard all over the world, of course, but I, I think most people of any sense of stand-up realize the impact. Uh, talk a little bit about the period that you entered the Boston comedy scene. I know you won a big competition, but you hung out with some real pros. Yeah, you know, like I said, I was I was uh, getting a graduate degree from Boston University. I was the, the graduate assistant soccer coach, and it was right at Nickerson Field there. Um, at one end of Nickerson Field was Stitches Comedy Club mm-hmm. and the Paradise Rock Club were right there. And I was going over the lineup uh, of the next game with the head coach, Neil Roberts, longtime coach at BU. And it happened to be an open mic night on a Sunday night at Stitches. And we were sitting having a beer, just going over the lineup. And he goes, you know, I think you could do that. And I, th- I said, you know what, I, I think I can too. Mm-hmm. And I've always dreamed of it. So uh, the next week I signed up for an open mic night there at Stitches. And George McDonald put me on stage and I did pretty well. And uh, I, I was hooked. I was bit by that bug. And what a time in the mid-80s to be a stand-up comic in Boston because there were crowds that packed every night to, mm-hmm. to the rafters, college kids. The young adult, you know, young professionals, older people, everybody was just packed into these rooms watching this American art form unfold. And the one thing that is different about Boston, and I'm sure you've talked about this on, on your podcast before, is that the headliner would host the show. And so as a young performer, you had to follow Don Gavin, mm-hmm. Lenny Clark, Kenny Rogers, and Steve Sweeney, Jack Gallagher. It was you know, these were these guys were the top, uh, some of the top professionals in the country. Guys had gotten sitcoms, guys who just absolutely ripped the roof off the place, and then you had to follow them. So, you know, when I really got the, the greatest of training, uh, you know, when, on Saturday nights we'd triple up and you know, quadruple up and different running from club to club. And so by the time I got to L.A., when I moved to L.A. Following Bill Hicks or Jerry Seinfeld or Sam Kinison was a, a walk in the park. I'm telling you, they were they're great comedians, but I had to follow a guy like Don Gavin, and nobody <laughs> wants to do that. Yeah, the Boston comedy scene is is known as the gauntlet, but it's also a very uh, tight knit group of great people, men and women, right. who would give you the literally the shirt off your off their backs to to do charity work and everything. They're wonderful people. There's a lot to talk about here. We're promoting the fact that you're doing your show, and it's also touring around the world. You go from the New England area to another part of the world at this point after this? Yeah, I'm sort of doing a, a soft opening now. I'm in Cincinnati uh, as we speak. I was in Philadelphia last week. I'm going to Key West next week, um, sort of doing it at theaters, working it out, almost like a comic, working out uh, the timing, the, the stories, the jokes, um, the message, the flow of the show. Um, and then I take it to, I go out to a theater on Nantucket called the White Heron Theater, where I'll, um, it'll be, you know, directed, uh, tightened up, and then it heads to Edinburgh in August, where um, the Farrelly brothers are executive producing uh, the show, and it's, uh, I'm going to perform every day from August 3rd to the 28th, so mm. uh, it's part of the Fringe, it's in a great theater, and I'm very excited about it, to represent Boston, to represent 
comedy, the story, my family, everything. That's it's, awesome, uh, it's, Kevin. It's really fun. And, yeah. and you've worked with the Farrelly brothers in some of their films, most noteworthy, yeah. Me, Myself, and Irene, The Heartbreak Kid. Uh, well, that's a, uh, it's a different film, but uh, you've done a lot with those guys. No, that's it. Heartbreak. Uh, Is that one of theirs, too? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's one of theirs. It's a remake. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably remember the original Charles Grodin. But oh, this, I remember. The remake was with, uh, was with Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, I saw it, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I just finished the, you know, uh, the guys. You know, I, I'll tell you the story about the Farrelly Brothers. They, they are the most decent people I know in an industry where that is not always the case. It's almost never the case. Um, I did a benefit, um, I think it was for the Cam Neely Foundation, and the brothers came up to me and said, hey, you're really funny. We'd, we'd love to put you in one of our movies. And I thought, oh, thank you, man. That was so nice of you to say that. I never thought I'd hear from him again. <laughs> it was just a nice comment. And boy, sure enough, 18 months later, they called me in for an audition and um, for a role, a small role. After the audition, they looked at each other and go, we got a bigger role for you. They threw me even a bigger role. And so, um, you know, that helped me get in other movies. It helped me get on Sex and the City. Uh, it, you know, I played one of the boyfriends on Sex right. and the City. Right, Bram, yes. Yes. Yeah, it was Bram. And then this past year, um, I in the new movie, Peter's movie, Peter Farrelly's movie, um, The World's Greatest Beer Run with Russell Crowe and uh, Bill Murray, Zac Efron. So um, they've, they've been great to me, and it's uh, they're, they're just really good people. You never pay them back enough. You sound extremely gracious, and you must pinch yourself when you realize you wake up one morning and you get a call to hit the set with Russell Crowe. I mean, that's kind of a... <laughs> Uh, earth-shattering thought uh, to anybody, but it's awesome. I wanted to talk to you about Sex and the City. I'm not a yep. typical watcher, but I, I my wife watched it, of course, as every woman. the club, right. right? Right, Exactly. You played uh, Bram, I guess, who was the boyfriend of Charlotte, correct? Right, right, in the third season. Do you know when you start that it's only going to be one or two episodes, or do they, do they let you know, well, you're in for the season, or is it a guessing game on your part? No, point? you never know. It's a guest appearance, and... You know, uh, it's a pretty racy episode, as as many of them were, you know. Um, and then, you know, later it was, I think because Charlotte's topless for the first time, but I was voted one of the most popular boyfriends ever. <laughs> I think it had nothing to do with me, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I would, I would think that would be a, a draw <laughs> yeah. for the non-female crowd particularly. That's interesting. Exactly. We're talking with Kevin Flynn. He's touring the world, actually, with Fear of Heights, a very funny phobia. And I wanted to ask you about... This performance art that you're doing that people like Colin yep. Quinn have perfected, Billy Crystal, which is more than stand-up. It's an actual show with an arc and a storyline. Guys can pull it off. But is, is that the future for you, this kind of production? It's, it's very theatrical in, in many cases. Yeah, well, it is theatrical. And, you know, one of the things I worked with Judith Ivey, the Tony Award-winning director on the script and things. And she, she was a fan of my stand-up. And she said, I, you have a theatrical piece here. And there's a difference, and it's it's sort of the presentation and the direction, and it's you know as comics, especially Boston comics, we have a tendency to um, uh, improv at times and meander through things. But this is a script from beginning to end. It's a story. Um, I take you through. You know, look, the part of what what I felt as a comedian when I was writing this and, and starting to perform this in a workshop sort of a situation was, well, who cares about you? Um, but what you realize is so many people identify with, oh, my sisters were like that. Yeah, they called me that. My dad was the storyteller in my family. Oh, I, you know, my grandparents. So people, I realized, identify through your story through their own. 
Um, mm. And it uh, it moves people in a way that I was not used to with stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy, uh, which I love, uh, like I said, is a is an American art form. Um, but I feel like it's uh, it's temporary. If I do really well, I'll come off stage. Everybody will say, "Great job! That was fun." Uh, with fear of heights, I get a very different response. People are laughing. People uh, many times are crying, and at the end, they say, "Oh my God, my father! You know, shared so many of the qualities that your father did, and and I miss my dad." And so we we have ourselves a moment, as the Irish say. <laughs> Uh, there That's awesome. and, and I feel, I love Crap. that I, I've really enjoyed this I really I really have no matter what happens uh, well, well from here on in. I was going to say audiences really react to something like this and it brings to mind the uh, the state of affairs in in comedy and maybe in every art yeah. form these days you know the tendency to be very careful about talking about ethnicity yeah. and diversity if you can't laugh a little bit at your family and and at tradition and the Irish the Jewish whatever. If you can't laugh, then what's the point? So you're you're skirting a very fine line here, but obviously doing it with much success. Uh, you have to be on your guard at times. These days. Yes, of course. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of comedians aren't working at colleges anymore because of it. And um, you know, someone said to me yesterday, "Oh, I remember when comedy was legal." And I thought that was oh, that was such a, a funny way to put it. And I also have a daughter who just graduated from college, and boy, she keeps me on my toes with. Uh, What's the proper terminology and what I said wrong? What did I say wrong now? You know, all that stuff. Um, it is a, it is a, uh, it's a strange new world for us because most of us that are a little older, we didn't get the memo that you couldn't say that word anymore or that you couldn't, you know. So it's, uh, it, it's, and for comedy, boy, you know, everybody is supposed to get, get a, get a turn getting uh, made fun of, but uh, it seems like we're in a weird period. I would actually say after Dice Clay, there was a little bit of a blowback against stand-up comics, um, you know, to not say the F word, to, to not say anything offensive. And after a while, I, I would say to club owners, I'm like, I'm an adult working at 11 o'clock at night mm. in New York City. Yeah. Um, these are adult themes, and we can handle it, um, you know? So... Uh, I think something great will come of this uh, this period, creatively, anyway. Well, I, I give you credit because uh, to put on a show like this, uh, and as you said, it's it's really about you, but it's about us, and to, to sort of discover that connection, that's why theater works the way it does and why live performance works the way it does, because you do connect with the audience. Otherwise... We don't really care, and it's uh, one and done, and we forget about it. But you're getting right. you're getting people saying afterwards, "Boy, that really touched me. I really got a charge out of it, or I really felt it." That's terrific. Right, for even for different reasons. Um, you know, my father went away to the Korean War, volunteered at 17 years old. He was on the front line at 18. Um, the whole seven guys from the neighborhood enlisted in one day mm. because one of their friends had been killed. I mean, just another time. You know, then I, I talk about my divorce and, and how hard that is uh, to be from a big family where no one's divorced and suddenly you're trying to raise a child uh, as a single dad and it just that certain people have identified with that. Uh, many people at the Irish part of, of, you know, barely me understand my grandmother when she would talk because she <laughs> certainly would have the lilt all the time. Oh, oh Kevin, please get me to You know, yeah. so uh, there's a lot there, but a lot for people to take from it, I, I hope. Now, we haven't talked about this, but I have to bring it up because sure. I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. Who's, it's okay. changed my outlook on soccer. But uh-huh. you're an American playing soccer and being very, very proficient at it and coaching right. it and doing all that. Did you face the wrath of 
traditional American football fans when they found out you were a soccer player? How did you survive that gauntlet? Well, look, and not even to toot my own horn, I was I was a three sport captain in high school, you know, with uh, and it was you know soccer, basketball, and baseball growing up, and um, I was voted best best athlete in high school, mm. and my town was a big football town, an American football town, and I was. I was told I was a loser because I was leaving the the, <laughs> the the best sport and all this other stuff and you know all the slurs you know be like yeah, homophobic slurs and everything else like that you know um, because you were playing this new game but this this game of soccer just opened up the world to me I mean I've traveled the world before comedy doing playing soccer and um, you know met people from I stayed with families from Haiti and Colombia and, and France and England and just I just it opened up my eyes to to everything. Um, and so I, I love it. And I did get some blowback, but they couldn't say I wasn't a good athlete. They knew better than that. Um, well, <laughs> I just, I, you know, and to just finish that thought, I think yeah. that being a sort of an outsider um, and from a confident place, I think it led me into the arts to, to not have to conform all the time and to question things. And, uh, you know, and have fun. Yeah, I love that, Kevin. In fact, uh, let's talk about another show that you created. And you've created a lot here, Over the Ball, a yeah. show that combines soccer, comedy, entertainment, and it was uh, uh, highly rated and really well-loved on the ESPN network. Yeah, um, I started that because, uh, you know, I, I felt like a lot of people, including my dad, didn't know anything about soccer that much. Um, and... I started to, to combine, you know, with my comedy friends, uh, with uh, with my knowledge of soccer, and um, yeah, it was at Sirius XM FC, and um, it was the uh, the number one soccer show after eight months on the network. And I don't know if you know Nick DiPaolo; he's pretty. Um, oh yes, he's, he's pretty pretty edgy. But I told Nick, and he says, oh, you're the uh, you're the top uh, show on the uh, soccer program." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Like that's like being the tallest Mexican." Um, <laughs> Sounds like Nick. And, yeah, that, that's exactly like it. Well, it's right. actually soft for Nick to tell you the truth. Yeah, you cleaned but, it up uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and then it won uh, it won MLS uh, Talk Show of the Year, oh. Major League Soccer Talk Show of the Year, and now I do it as a podcast. So uh, I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So it's called just so we know it's called Over the Ball, the podcast. We can search for it. Over the Ball. Yeah, Excellent. Search for Excellent. It. And uh, each week I have um, you know different guests within the game itself. So. Um, and it's been a fun run. It's uh, enjoyed. You know, you you do this podcast, so you know how fun they are. Oh my gosh! You meet the yeah. most amazing people, and you hear from people. I, I mean, soccer is an international phenomenon, so you must be hearing yeah. from people all over the world. That is, yeah, really, really fun. I want to mention your website, kevinflynnlive.com. and again, right. uh, doing these shows, these one-man shows all over the country and the world. Uh, people are definitely going to want to check out uh, Fear of Heights. And the the uh, subtitle is actually important, A Very Funny Phobia. <laughs> yeah, you know, I want people to know that it's, there's drama in there, but there's comedy in there yeah. as well. And, um, you know, the Fear of Heights gets played with uh, a little bit in different ways. Um, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of heights. Um, you know, um, just my journey uh, with... Uh, with with everything I've done and 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 continue to hope to do. Really. Well, I, I would uh, think, and I I'm just going out on a limb, but I'm sure this is in negotiations or thoughts of it. This is an HBO special waiting to be produced. Am I right? Is it t- TV? Certainly hope so. Netflix. Yeah. Somebody has to pick this up as a special. Is is that at least in consideration right now? Yeah, yeah, it's in Good. consideration for sure. And I think um, 
you know, the show runs about an hour and 20 minutes, but that would be an hour. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways, it's sort of the next step with stand-up because, uh, you know, I think, you know, stand-up is part of a storytelling tradition. The Irish have a big storytelling tradition. Uh, Jewish culture has big storytelling tradition. Um, and this this tells a story. So hopefully you're laughing and, and you're, uh, you're, you're thinking about it. Um, that's the best compliment I can get when someone calls me a week or two later and says, man, I'm still thinking about your show. And, uh, I know I've... I've uh, I've hit on something when I when I've done that, and I still love my stand up. Don't get me wrong. I uh, I was uh, did a show the other night, did a nice hour and fifteen minutes. I was so happy to be in front of a big crowd, just uh, you know, unrestricted like I am with the play, uh, just doing my stand up comedy like I did for twenty five thirty years. And um, mm. but boy, I love doing this play. I really love getting it out there and, and letting people see it. And it's it's just starting to get out now. So. It's, it's things like this that help me get it out there, well, so I appreciate this. Well, pleasure indeed. And before we sign off, and we'll, yeah. again, tell everybody how they can find out more about you, you just said you did an hour and 15 minutes. Now, an yeah. hour and 15 minutes in the life of the day is a very small part. It's one twenty-fourth of a day. Right. For people who don't know, the amount of work and preparation and writing and thinking that goes into even 10 minutes of stand-up is incredible, isn't it? Right. And I think one thing we're, we're noticing in the stand-up world is kids are majoring in stand-up comedy. Um, you know, they're, they're getting a bunch of Twitter followers early on in high school and in college, and, and they'll go to the University of Texas, and they'll, they'll be in the improv club, and then they'll come to New York City, and suddenly they have to speak to everyone, uh, a wide range of people. Mm. And I always, I always say, my college degree was from... Boston stand-up comedy guys <laughs> watching Steve Sweeney and Lenny Clark and, and Don Gavin. Are you kidding me? Uh, you can't really learn it in school. You got to learn it uh, on the boards, getting up there and doing it and watching the best. And uh, that's where I feel, you know, just so fortunate sure. that I started in Boston. It's a great badge of honor. No matter where you go, when you say you're a Boston comic, people take notice and, uh, and, and get it. I remember working with uh, Chris Titus, he had a sitcom, and I was headlining, and he was going up before me, and somebody started to heckle him. And he said, oh, you're in trouble. And the guy goes, why is that? He goes, because the next guy is from Boston. And I'm like, wait a minute. What the hell does that mean? That... <laughs> you, you, you handle it yourself. Don't pass the buck out of me because I'm from Boston. Boston strong, baby. Look out. Don't give us any grief. We're going to come right back at you. And that brings up one more point. I, I wanted sure. to mention this before we close. I don't know if you're still doing this, but you've offered comedy education. You have to go to an island to get it, but uh, on Nantucket, is that right? Are you still doing some of that? Well, here's the thing. Here's this, how this started. I, uh, you know, I had a summer place on Nantucket. I was living in New York City, and um, they had a rash of suicides there, teenage suicides. Mm. Uh, they call it a cluster yeah. um, because you celebrate someone's death, and then all of a sudden these poor kids at these emotionally vulnerable times of their lives look around and say, geez, I would love one of these for me. And um, as crazy as that sounds for us as adults, um, you know, kids don't know any better. And so one of the people who had uh, taken his own life, I had coached him a little bit in soccer, volunteered uh, for the team out there. And so I thought, you know, he had asked me about comedy all the time. And so I decided to bring my friends out in July um, to do some workshops for these kids. And because they all loved comedy. And I had Lewis Black and Jim Gaffigan and Don Gavin all come out. And I started to realize, like, hey, guys, while we're out here, why don't we do a show for adults at night? And that's how the comedy festival started. Uh. 
So I run and produce the Nantucket Comedy Festival, which supports a children's educational program called Stand Up and Learn, which helps young ones build self-confidence, self-esteem, just through public speaking and and doing stand-up. And, you know, just before COVID, uh, we were trying to go national with it because uh, there, it's been such a, such a success on the island with the the kids and the junior high school level and the boys and girls club there that other schools wanted it, um, and so we were sort of set to do that before the the you know the the whole COVID uh, nightmare changed all the trajectories of all of our lives. Uh, but other kids do it. I like right now, uh, we, you know, I teach classes for kids free. They're free for everyone. Um, I've got a, a young man from Minnesota and from um, uh, Milwaukee, where they're at, they do a Zoom with us once a week, and mm-hmm. um, I generally teach the class. And we've had a lot of success because even though I have not seen the kids in person, the one young man from Minnesota did it as you know at his talent night in front of an audience. And when when a twelve year old does stand up comedy in front of two hundred people, it's a win just for him to get up there mm-hmm. or her to get up there. And uh, speaking of which, the, the, the young girls do so much better than the guys. It's, uh, it's, it's hysterical because <laughs> they're just so much more poised. I, I, I have a daughter, and I just said, oh, they're, they're so far ahead of us. I'm not sure if we ever catch up. Oh, that's um, funny. That's, you know, that's... And then one kid did it uh, at his summer camp as, uh, in, you know, on talent night, and he just came home, and his, his mother said, you made that kid into a rock star for the summer. He, he loved it. <laughs> That that so makes it, your your whole day sparkle when you know you've made a difference, and doing something that you love and transferring your love of it to somebody else. God, that's great. I love that yeah. story. I'm so glad we had a chance to get that story out. And I want to send people yeah. to KevinFlynnLive.com. Uh, the show we've been talking about is Fear of Heights, a very funny phobia. I have a feeling it's going to go big time. You're such a, a good guy for coming on, and uh, I really appreciated what we talked about, which was everything. <laughs> I know you had a great list there. I, I so appreciate you doing your due diligence and um, give me a chance to talk about all my passions. I, I really appreciate it, and I hope to see people out at the performance because I, I think it, they'll enjoy it. I really do. What a terrific guy. Kevin Flynn, comedian, actor, writer, producer. And his show is called Fear of Heights, appearing Saturday, June 25th, 2022, in the local area in Braintree at the Curtain Call Theater. But if you visit Kevin's website, kevinflynnlive.com, there's a full schedule, including the touring schedule for Fear of Heights. kevinflynnlive.com. I want to say thank you to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, also to everyone at Chart Productions, the studio of record, where we produce this and many other podcasts, audiobooks, commercials, you name it. My book is still selling. There's an audio version of On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio. Visit jordanrich.com for all the details. And until we meet again at this very same spot, I will say, as always, be well so you can do good. Catch you next time. Take care.